Today we talk with a Washington football insider looking at what should we expect from Kalen DeBoer and Washington football in 2022 and what's the latest on the quarterback battle. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions every weekday. Like, comment, subscribe, all that good jazz. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I am not alone today as we will discuss Washington Husky football. I'm joined by UW Grab. UW grad, CEO and analyst of RealDog.com, Kayla Olin. Welcome to Locked On Pack 12. Thanks for having me. I love that intro. It's so upbeat and it's like makes me so excited <laughs> to talk some football. That's the idea. I uh, I miss football so very dearly every day. And though I golf nonstop every weekend, I still miss football uh, when I'm when I'm out on the course. And, and you know, Washington had an interesting spring showcase i thought spring game spring showcase whatever you want to call it. everybody's got their own name and such but first year head coach kaylin DeBoer, he's got a lot of decisions to make and i'd say the biggest one kayla is the quarterback battle so it, you cover this team you talk to fans you're very tied into washington football what would you say is the current state of that quarterback room with michael Penix, the indiana transfer five-star sam heward the highest quarterback recruit in washington history and then dylan morris who started last season it's interesting because while Kalen DeBoer, you know, he's still saying even after the spring preview that it's still wide open. And the weirdest and worst part is from what I've seen, from what a lot of people in the media have seen, maybe fans that are following super closely, is I've personally seen all three get reps with the first team during their spring practices or training. And just like I've seen each of them have better days than the others sometimes. One practice, Penix looks to have the best ball. One day, Morris looks to be the most composed and makes better connections. And then one day, Sam Heward looks to have the best arm and is the most accurate. If you're talking spring preview specifically, the unofficial passing numbers for each of them is Penix was going 13 for 18 with 204 yards and two interceptions. Heward was 13 for 20 with about 160 yards and a touchdown. And Morris was three for 12 with 53 yards that's hard to kind of base those judgments as well just because panics got about six drives Heward had five and morris had four um it's it's difficult because they all kind of excel in one aspect or the other for instance morris is better at kind of throwing on the run and reading those plays a little bit more where panics looks to be the most comfortable in the pocket but Heward has a lot of ties with some of these receivers and looks like he's been playing with them for a while so it is wide open him saying that he's not naming a starter right away fully believe that that is accurate just from what i've seen and who's getting the reps with first team and such but it's i don't know if he will have one come fall on who the starter is but i wouldn't be surprised if he had a top two and if i am predicting my top two it would be down to Penix and heward yeah, that's where I would lean as well. I just think with Dylan Morris a season ago, the argument for giving him a legitimate chance would be, well, you got to give him room to grow, right? As yeah. it was one season as a starter, and he certainly you know did some things well, but showed a lot of limitations in terms of 
taking care of the ball, making consistent reads and accurate throws and pushing ball down the field as well. But correct me if I'm wrong here, Kayla, when I look at, at this Washington quarterback room, I think it's one of the most compelling battles in the Pac-12 because, like you said, each guy kind of has their own trait that, that stands out, right? You think Penix, you're probably going to have the most accurate quarterback. Heward has the best physical gifts. Morris, you might argue, is the most reliable from a sense that you know what you're going to get from him. Now, everybody's learning the new offense, but we've seen a season of Dylan Morris in Seattle, but we we haven't seen a whole lot of Sam Heward, and Michael Penix comes from Indiana. You kind of know what you have there, but everybody's in a new system. Do you think that those identifiable traits, Heward the physical traits, Penix the accuracy, and Morris the you know reliability, I guess, for better or worse, would you say that's a, a proper way to look at them? I would, especially when you can look at Morris and see that maybe we have seen his ceiling because during the 2020 season when Washington only played four games, I know you're going to take a little bit of offense to this, Washington being the Pac-12, you know, having the Pac-12 North title, Oregon going on to win the championship game overall. But Morris looked to be very good in terms of how comfortable he was, especially not getting really to play any reps because Jacob Eason was there and kind of beating out Jake Hayner, who's had an impressive career at Fresno State. Kalen DeBoer knows all about that. But, and then seeing his floor, which was kind of the 2021 season and losing some very winnable games, making some very questionable decisions. And fans even kind of question Heward as well and are almost pulling for Penix without really seeing too much film on Heward in the collegiate level because of the Apple Cup and those interceptions and kind of just getting thrown in there. And the only thing about kind of judging some of these quarterbacks is that was a John Donovan offense that we saw from Dylan Morris and a John Donovan offense that we saw from Sam Heward. And so they are also from a quarterback coach who was never a quarterback, right? So John Donovan was trying to teach these quarterbacks when he never even played quarterback position. So finally having that resume there with the coaching staff, I think is going to be the world of difference. But as for kind of their traits, I think those traits are pretty much solidified, but how they decide to develop those traits within the Washington program is going to be whoever wins. Yeah, I think you make a great point about having Donovan as the OC, a hire that at the time, I don't think a lot of people liked. And then no. once <laughs> once, once the no. on-field product was reviewed, the people who are saying, hey, I don't know about this guy. He wasn't very good at his last stop. And then the on-field product was there. Those people probably felt incredibly, incredibly vindicated because it was it was really not good. And, and you mentioned Morris went three of 12 in, in the spring showcase, right? Yeah, that's not a great look for him either, yeah. because if you're trying to make... yards is some middle school yeah, yards, right? Like, <laughs> I, I thought he showed a couple moments where, you know, the, the completions he did have, he looked like he was throwing the ball much more confidently over the middle of the field and, and with a little bit of accuracy. But you look at the final box score, you're like, OK, he was three of 12 in a situation where the defense isn't allowed to hit the quarterback, meaning mentally he can stand in there, be a little bit tougher and know that. He, he's not going to get whacked like that makes it easier and tends to lend itself towards the offense. So I think that argument ha has some merit, you know, that Donovan was holding him back, but at least so far from what we've been able to see, I don't think Morris has been able to put those concerns 
to rest in the eyes of Husky fans or, or just anyone who's looking at, at the conference here. But I thought the offense showed something that Washington hasn't seen a lot of. And I want your thoughts on that after I tell you about Bill Parr. Imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories with 16 grams of protein. I had one of these birthday cake puffs the other day, and I had to stop myself from eating three more. If you haven't tried the puffs, they're one of the best products that Built Bar has. You can go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your order. Check out the birthday cake. They're fantastic. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. You're going to have right, to send me those because now I want some. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were, uh, they were even better than I expected. I saw them. And I was like, okay, this is probably going to be very good. And then they were really, really good. Reminds me of like some fun Fetty cake. That's exactly what it tasted like, but it was a protein oh. infused marshmallow, which is, which is even, even better. Washington fans are hoping what is even better this year is the offense from a season ago. And one thing that looked to be a point of emphasis from Coach DeBoer and, you know, his offense, that's the side of the ball he comes from in the spring showcase was he used tempo a lot. And that's not something that we've seen from Washington a lot over the years. Doesn't mean the offense hasn't been effective at times, but it was sort of a new a new wrinkle, a new element to the offense that we just haven't seen from the purple and gold up there. So what did you make kind of of the spring showcase with your biggest takeaways writ large and then talking about, you know, what we saw from the offense with regards to how fast they were trying to go? I think so. We'll start with defense so we can transition to offense a little bit first. But in terms of the defense, the defense tallied about two takeaways during that scrimmage. That's probably nothing shocking for Washington fans as that's really what kept Washington in some of these games these last few years. And the first was on a high pass from Penix and then cornerback uh, Michelle Powell, he hauled in a drive there. And then on the second interception, it was a, another long pass from Penix. So, you know, maybe some interception kind of qualities here that we're seeing from Penix that we didn't see from Heward. Is that going to be a decision maker for Kalen? Who knows? But Alex cooked a, a sixth year. Washington Husky had snagged that one. And then you talk about this fast pace. We'll start with running backs and the running. That's kind of, this is why that Washington didn't have a quote unquote spring game is there was not enough healthy running backs or linebackers on the roster to have a full on full spring game. Right. And so didn't really get to see too much in terms of the actual kind of key players at the running back position, but New Mexico um, sophomore transfer, Aaron Dumas, he looked to be outstanding and kind of getting the bulk of the carries along with redshirt freshman JV on Sunday. So those two kind of officially had about 38 yards on eight carries, if I was counting correctly, um, is who Dumas had or Sunday had, I'm sorry. And then Dumas had about 25 yards and a one yard touchdown. So kind of the similar uh, red zone running offense, I think that Washington fans are a little bit used to. But the fast pace you're talking about really came from those wide receivers. 11 players actually caught passes during the scrimmage, and that was led by Junior Alexander, a former high school teammate at Kennedy Catholic who is an ASU transfer with Sam Heward. Uh, Romo Dunze, he unofficially caught about four passes for 63 yards. Jalen McMillan, another veteran, three catches on 56 yards. And then Jalen Polk, the transfer from Texas Tech, who – 
after the very first play last season, broke his collarbone. He was out until about the final few games. He had about three catches for 55 yards. And then Giles Jackson, the Michigan transfer last season, who was pretty quiet. And I'm not going to say disappointing, but there was a lot more high expectations for him that we didn't really see. He had about four catches for 40 yards. So really spread out and everybody kind of getting in that rotation. But you can tell that this wide receiver room is definitely kind of not up for grabs. I think the veterans have solidified themselves, but in terms of getting on the two deeps, everyone's making a run for it. And you can tell just by how quickly they were playing and getting down that field, much better route running. If you ask me. Yeah, and Junior Alexander had kind of the two biggest highlight plays of the spring showcase. The one-handed yeah. snag from his old buddy Heward, and then the, the back shoulder touchdown throw as well just showed the, the timing and chemistry that those two have. And I don't know if that relationship specifically, you know, would come into the minds of coaches in terms of, well, you know, there's a history between the two of them, so we're going to go with Sam Heward. But I wonder if it will help Heward's case to be the starter in terms of, making more throws that that pop off on, on the screen or on the film to to the coaches right because those two really look like they were working together very very well and, and I thought that it allowed Heward to showcase you know the physical gifts that he does have and you know I I also find it interesting this is not a super important note per se but is there another quarterback room in the Pac-12 that has two lefties I don't think there is. I don't think if there, I remember correctly, I don't think there is. I don't I don't think there is either. And I just wonder how it would be as an offensive coordinator, because I played a lot of NCAA 14 football growing up. And anytime there's a lefty in there completely threw me off. I would just bench him and put in the right handed backup, you know, but obviously oh, I, yeah. think, I, I think the uh, offensive coordinators at the power five level, maybe a little bit more nuanced than my my play calling in NCAA 14. But DeBoer has a little bit of a rebuild job after a four and eight season ahead of him going into this year when he was hired. And based on what Washington fans in the community who you talk to, and I'm sure interact with plenty on, on realdog.com, you can go check out all the stuff that, that Kayla and her team write over there. They do fantastic work. What's kind of been your, your feeling about how the, how the fans and community are, are sensing it's going so far with Kalen DeBoer taking over after the, the debacle of last year? It's difficult because Washington fans, and I'll even say Oregon fans as well, they have expectations, right? When there's a hire, there's expectations that they're going to come in, they're going to be instant impact, and they're going to win. It's not going to go through kind of a little bit of a slump. And for DeBoer, he is hitting those recruiting trails hard, but he's losing some key in-state kids. And that has been the biggest thing so far that fans have kind of negatively had to say. And it, it sucks because it goes against him. But at the same time, you have to think about the state of the program and Jimmy Lake being let go of before the end of the season and John Donovan taking what was talked about as being the number one tight end prospect in the NFL draft and not going until day three. So it's, it's hard to automatically tell kids, you know, we're a different program and here's why you should believe us without any kind of evidence to prove otherwise. And that's kind of been the biggest hit to Kalen's name so far in terms of the fans in the community. But what he does have going for him that fans do really appreciate is that he's direct and straightforward. He doesn't beat around the bush when it comes to media in terms of injuries or position quality or expectations. 
and he's calling out the defense and saying, you know, it needs to be better and it needs help. And I think that's something that Washington was missing. Even Chris Peterson was a little bit hush hush on about and current former players. They love him. He makes it a point to invite former players to come and just meet the new staff and to tour the facility again and make sure that they know that he kind of never coached them, but they will always have a home here, which is huge for some of these players, especially if you look at kind of backing for them as well and kind of being the voice of reason on why Kalen is a great coach to come and play under. But then not only that, but he's doing great things to connect with the high schools around the state, just constantly dropping by all of the high schools. And he even held like a little bit of like a cocktail dinner showcase with the head coaches from all the high schools in the state of Washington, Idaho, and even some from Oregon as well. So he's definitely taking recruiting seriously and it's being more kind of publicly known, but it's the knock is just kind of losing some in-state kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, they've seen a couple go to Oregon and Jaden Wayne is a Washington in-state kid who's being recruited very heavily by both Oregon and also USC. And and I think that that makes it tougher, right? Having Lincoln Riley there, who's, you know, kind of known for his in-game. He's not messing around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, you know, known first and foremost for his in-game schemes and his, his ability to be a quarterback guru. But his recruiting chops are not bad, and he's certainly got more recent more resources to work with at USC than he had at Oklahoma. You're just thinking of in-state talent, but also the 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 lure of USC. I think that's going to make it even more difficult for DeBoer and every coach in the Pac-12, frankly, to to recruit those sorts of kids. But th- there are a lot of things that he could improve upon for you know his first season this fall, and we'll talk about what those are after we remind you that this episode brought to you by Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, go Mariners, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, let's talk about expectations going into this year. And there are a number of areas where you could look to last season and say Washington needed to be better here. The offense had to be more consistent, had to be more explosive. I mean, there are just a whole litany of things. But what do you you look to as kind of the top one or two things that you would like to see Kalen DeBoer change from last season to make you feel as a Washington fan and someone who covers the team, that he has the program moving back in an upward trajectory? I'd probably have to say something that Washington struggled even with Jimmy Lake as head coach, a little bit with Coach Pete, is just the run defense. It's something that if you go to a game and it's third and four, you're nervous because you know what's coming. You know it's going to be around the middle. And the defense should know it's coming, but Washington just couldn't figure it out. And that's where they gave up a lot of kind of third down conversions is the run. And so the run defense is something that I would like to see kind of change dramatically. Uh, Last season, if you want to look at some numbers, I'm a big numbers person, so sorry. (laughs) But uh, UW led the country in air yards allowed per game. Just that was outstanding. I think it was about 112 yards per game allowed in the air, but then was around 22nd, 23rd nationally in defense overall because of the run defense. And so Kaylin even commented on it after the spring practices during his media and just kind of saying that he 
wasn't quite happy with the run defense and it wasn't where he wanted it to be. And it should be an even bigger red flag considering the top three running backs in the room. If you're talking about kind of a spring preview standpoint that they were out with injuries. So the two and three deeps running against the first and second team defensive line is extremely problematic. It's, it's just your third string running back should not be able to run through your first and second team defensive line. So that's probably the number one area of improvement that I think Washington fans, especially me want to see. One thing that stood out to me in the spring preview was I thought the offensive line as a whole had a rough day and you know, the defense didn't didn't even have a, a full set of stars. Now the offensive line didn't either, but, for, for you, is that a concern going into next year? Because I, I thought they, you know, struggled to create consistent running lanes, but it was the the blitz pickups and assignments where it looked like they were just really, really not on the same page there. So what do you kind of expect from the offensive line unit next year? Yeah, that's a great question. Just because you, you can look back at numbers and kind of see COVID season, Dylan Morris was sacked one time and it was on a kind of scramble and then a run out of bounds. He was never actually sacked and this was four games, right? So kind of take it with what you will, but there is an expectation of the offensive line coming in last year to be just as stellar. And it seemed to be almost one of the worst. And I think that also can kind of contribute to the lack of running back production as well. You can kind of see that the Washington Huskies accounted for about 3.2 yards per carry, which was really bad. That was about 125th nationally, just kind of dead lack, dead last in the Pac-12, and it's not good. So with that being said, some of that has to do come with the offensive line. And during the preview, Washington didn't have Jackson Kirkland back, who is somebody that was going to be a first or second round draft pick. He ended up getting surgery kind of just before the combine. And so his waiver to come back in got cleared by the NCAA. So he is now coming back. I think that's huge for Washington fans, especially at that left tackle position, but he's not the reason why the offensive line was kind of weak in that spring preview, but it's, it's something that I also think needs to be addressed was kind of one of my other ones aside from the defense was the offensive line and running backs, just because why were they so good in 2020 and then not really lose anyone, but then was so bad in 2021. It's going to be one of those things where Kayla needs an answer quickly. And is it going to be with maybe Corey Luciana moving to the center position? Who knows? Yeah. And, and by the way, I forgot to ask you this earlier. You mentioned uh, among the running backs for Washington. One of them is his last name is Polk. Is that Chris Polk's brother? Uh, No, Jalen Polk is a wide receiver. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I just, I just heard Polk and I thought, and I'm Washington. You're like, like, Oh you know, no. <laughs> it's like Washington's had success there in, in the past that I'm sure they would love to have Chris Polk at the, at the running back slot right now. But we, we talked about the areas of weakness going into next season, but if you had to point to one or two strengths that you would say, I feel confident that this unit or this area of the team is going to do well enough for Washington to, to win games and get back over 500 and maybe do e even better than that. What would you say that is? It's got to be the same answer every year. It's got to be the secondary. Washington is just great in terms of their secondary and defensive backs. And the new Washington defensive coaches, they even have that extra defensive back 
that they kind of have nicknamed it's their nickel, but they've nicknamed it Husky. And what it is, is it's a corner slash safety hybrid. And he's typically just a little bit bigger than a linebacker. So kind of going away from that nickel size, but just larger in general and replacing three starters with Kyler Gordon, who is with the bears and Buki Radley Hiles and Trent McDuffie, who's with the chiefs and the depth is there and there was always so much rotation. So you have Michelle Powell. I kind of talked about him a little bit earlier. Uh, Dominique Hampton, Asa Turner, and tra- uh, transfer Jordan Perryman. He's an FCS All-American transfer. I believe he was an All-American uh, from UC Davis. Powell, Turner, and Hampton have all started in games. And so not really having to worry about too much kind of step back there because they had been in the rotation and they have the experience is something that Washington kind of always feels the most comfortable about. So I would say that is definitely their biggest strength still going forward, especially implementing an even bigger person at that nickel position, which I guess, you know, Husky now, but some having some big guys back there, I think is really a strength for Washington, especially because the run game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, they, they've gotten the brand as, as DBU, right. Right. Because I mean, yeah. you've got Elijah Molden and Buddha Baker and Shaq Thompson was a safety linebacker hybrid. And now you've got Trent McDuffie and Marcus Peter. Like it's just, it, it's a long running line of really, really successful corners. One thing that I, I noted last week when I was talking about Washington here on the show was, an undeniable strength is going to be Peyton Henry is back for year 17 of college football. And I think that has to make that, ha- that has to give at least, at least some comfort and consistency, right? Or is that, uh, is that, is that not how Washington fans are feeling about him? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, the worst part about my job is like, you want to try and build kids up and you don't want to tear kids down, but I will just never be confident in Peyton Henry kicking a game winning go ahead field goal ever. <laughs> like, you know, when- if that, if that is the case, Washington will not be the first school to not have a kicker that they feel good about in crunch time moments. Nah. I mean, it is the most under, uh, like if you, if you're talking about it just from a market perspective, the demand for good kickers is very, very high. And the supply is so short. It is unbelievably short. Every year in college football, you can watch these guys who are supposedly highly rated recruits go out there and just shank balls with the game on the line in a 42-yarder. It's just, it, it's wild how that all works. It literally started at the Oregon game that was in overtime back in... Yep. 2018 2018 that's when it's that's when the demise started and then washington was going back jake browning put together the best two-minute drive i've ever seen in college football where coming back from being down nine to beat utah at home and it came down to peyton henry's legs and i watched it i didn't watch it through my fingers i didn't watch it at all i was like (laughs) i will listen because that's not gonna happen and then (laughs) washington's huge loss to cal that had the lightning and thunderstorm delay where the game got over like 2 30 in the morning hmm why peyton henry how's it going you know (laughs) like and then the worst part about it is we had tim horn here who his cat his calves and his thighs were the size of tree trunks he could kick a ball very very far and very accurately but he was never given the opportunity to do any field goal kicking and so he was just a kickoff guy and so he leaves and he transfers and that hurts and that sucks and so you know Peyton Henry has the experience but the inconsistency I would almost rather not have 
I guess for Husky fans, they're hoping it'll be uh, like six six times the charm, something something of that sort. For it's, it's like Britain Covey. Like, how yeah. are you still here, right? Yeah. Or he, he, Colorado also had that kicker who is forty two, and just yeah. like still yeah. on the program. Peyton Henry's going to be forty two and still with Washington. Like, okay, yeah, no. I don't mean I don't mean to like make fun of him, but yeah. no, I, I, you know, every time it, I think of col- every time I think of college athletes who have been around for a long time. I don't know how how big you are into college basketball. I always think of Aaron Kraft, the point guard for Ohio State. I swear he's still there. I swear he is still there in Columbus. That's how I, I, I felt. I that's how I felt about uh, UCLA and their point guard. I was like, I swear, when I was still going to school, you were a point guard playing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, those those guys just just seem to hang around. Uh, la- last thing here with Kayla Olin, the CEO and analyst for for RealDog.com. If you were the head coach or offensive coordinator right now, you get a big, massive promotion, which would be pretty awesome. If I, uh, at least I, I would imagine you, you would think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Hey, Kaylin, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, if, if you had to make a choice right now, right? You said your top two would be Penix and Heward. Which way would you lean if, if opening day were tomorrow? Is my job relying on my decision, or am I thinking long term? No, you're, no you're, in, you're, in, you're in your first year. You're, Kay, you're Kalen DeBoer. You're off a of four and eight season. You've got these three quarterbacks in the room. You've narrowed it to the top two. Let's say Morris has left the program. It's just those two. Who are you going with? Oh, my gosh. That's hard. I'll probably say Penix, but to argue Sam Heward, why, I, why it's even kind of a question or a hesitation is if Kalen chooses Penix and Sam Heward does not want to sit for a second year in a row, does he leave? Yep. If he leaves, if he leaves, Washington fans will burn his house to the ground. I could like (laughs) just from the legacy that he has at Washington. And, you know, is that enough to keep him sitting there for another year? It, it, I think that would make me too nervous with my job that, you know, I think Penix could get it done. But at the same time, Penix is a one-year guy. Are you going to just continue to do what Wazoo does and rotate their quarterbacks every year, which seems to work for them? But then at the same time, one bad year is not good. Or are you going to bank on having a kid for three or four years and really developing him and having kind of not a not a franchise quarterback, but yeah. a quarterback who is in your system for a while? So I would probably go Penix, but I think run out of that tunnel, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I just made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like Penix has to be considered the leader just because he's got power five winning experience right now. But and he knows other- Kalen's pro. He knows his offense. Yeah, and the, yeah, and the other side of, of that coin is if the team is not expected to win, you know, 9, 10, 11 games, which I don't think anyone's expecting for Washington this year, then you can make the argument that you should play the young guy, let him grow with, with, within the system yeah. as, you know, other quarterbacks have done and let him make mistakes and let him learn and like all that sort of stuff. But it's it's a question that has not been answered yet, but we'll continue to cover it here on the show we might just have to bring kayla olin ceo and analyst of realdog.com back kayla great to have you on and appreciate your insight no thanks so much even if we don't agree with anything else other than like <laughs> football and college basketball but i appreciate it thank you you're very welcome i appreciate all of you listening or watching see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day